ready for week two of the kingdom. Uh, man, if you're wondering, man, that seems like the praise team, worship team was fire. I'm telling you, 9 a.m., man, God just blew in the room. And it was amazing. So we're, we're expecting that and more. And if it doesn't happen, well, I'm just going to assume a lot of you have sin in your life. And there's no... <laughs> you tell Riley, this is two weeks. I'm coming after him. So, Hey, we started off the series with making this statement. Everybody has an agenda. Every person in this room has their own agenda. What I mean by that, things that we think in our head, either on paper or in our head, how we think life is going to go, how we think things are going to play out. How many know you don't have to be alive very long in this world to know things don't go as planned? How many parents of toddlers do we have in here? I haven't been a parent of a toddler in a while, but I am the grandparent of a toddler. So I can tell you this. If you're a toddler, you know this to be true. Things do not go as planned. The best way I can describe life with a toddler is this way. Turning on a blender without the lid on it. <laughs> and it just stuff goes over everywhere. In case y'all don't know. If, you, if you're not real familiar with that illustration, young people, just go home, make your smoothie, but don't put the top on. And then you go, oh, I get it now. And then your parents will beat you, and then life will be good. All right. Um, everybody has an agenda. The hard truth is, though, our agendas, our human agendas, very rarely work out the way we want them to. Come on, let's be honest. We, we have a bad track record uh, as human beings of things flowing out and, and going the way we have thought we thought they should go. In fact, a lot of our agendas completely fail. So what we're trying to do throughout this series uh, as a church and as individuals is to get you to buy in this, into this fact. There is only one agenda that matters. That's God's agenda. The kingdom agenda. That's the only agenda that matters. And in fact, what does that look like? Well, man, what I hope is we'll begin to sincerely pray the prayer of Jesus when he prayed this. Hey, your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I really believe as followers of Jesus, if you are a follower of Jesus, your assignment in this world is to bring the culture of heaven to earth. To bring that code, how would marriages be different if we took that approach? How would relationships be different if we took that approach? So when we say kingdom of God, what are we talking about? Chloe, are you going to help me back there today? I feel good about this. Bring him. Here's when we say the kingdom. Here's what it is. The kingdom of God, what it looks like to live life in the presence of God, in the power of God, and under the authority of God. That's what we're talking about. And I'm going to bring it up next in sentence form because I want you to say it. Bring, bring that next slide up for me. I want you to say this out loud, proud, like you believe it, even if you don't, because by the end of this message, I believe you will. But here we go. Let's say it. The kingdom of God is what it looks like to live life in the... In the and under, that's the kingdom of God. One writer said it like this. The kingdom of God is where what God says goes, goes, and what, what God wants done, gets done. That's the kingdom of God. 
Jesus talked a whole lot about this subject. In fact, the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, no less than 126 times does the kingdom of God, kingdom of heaven, get mentioned. In the book of Matthew alone, it gets mentioned 50 times. Jesus talked a lot about the kingdom. In fact, the kingdom of God was the subject matter of Jesus' very first message. If you remember, uh, if you're not familiar, Jesus gets baptized by John. Uh, man, the sky, heavens open up, uh, a dove descends, this voice comes from heaven, God saying, this is my son, whom I'm well pleased. Jesus then from there, immediately the spirit leads him into the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights where he is tempted by Satan. The moment he comes out of that experience, here's what he declares in Mark chapter 1, 15. The time has come. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. The passion translates it like this. At last, the fulfillment of the age has come. It's time for God's kingdom to be experienced in its fullness. Jesus then from that moment when he says, hey, the kingdom of God is near, he then goes on this, this proceeds to go on this thing showing us, hey, this is what it looks like when I say the kingdom of God is here. This is what it looks like to live into the kingdom, in the presence, in the power, and under the authority of God. See, every healing Jesus did, every blind person that he opened their eyes, every deaf person that he opened their ears, every dead person he raised from the dead, the, the lepers that he cleansed, the woman with the issue of blood, every, every person he raised alive, he was declaring, guys, this is what the kingdom of God looks like. This is life in the presence of God, in the power of God, and under the authority of God. And this is the life that is possible for you. That's what Jesus was doing. Every miracle. See, the problem, though, because we'll shout that. In fact, if I was at my home church where I grew up in Cell Creek, I would have had a guy we call Running Bob. He would have been running the aisles by now. I mean, you know, bobby pins would have been flying everywhere out of hair. If you, you know, see, y'all weren't raised Pentecostal, or you didn't be aware of those Pentecostal hairdos. The problem is, though, we live between the now and the not yet. We talked about this last week. And that can cause tension in our faith. Oh, what, what do you mean, PK? It can cause tension. Because here's the thing. When we live life as a believer, we know that Jesus can heal. But what happens when he doesn't heal? Are you, are you following me? We know that God can set an addict free. What happens when he doesn't? Come on, are, are you, these are very real things. I'm not here to water it down. These are very real, real issues. We know that God can answer the prayer. This is a, we pray. Come on, are you like me? God, this is an easy prayer for you. What's going on? And we live in that tension of the now and the not yet. We know, we know God can do it. And so, what do we do during the tension? What do we do with that? When I say tension, here's the definition of the word tension. The state of being stretched, intense mental or emotional strain, pressure. Anybody felt some stretching going on over the past year or so? Yeah. 
some intense emotional or, or, or mental pains and pressure. So that's the tension we, of living between the now and then. We've seen it in this house. I brought up Jackie, who we know God has healed her of cancer. There are others in this house that are part of this house. We've seen God heal of cancer. But then we've got others like Melody that, that, uh, that had 18 years where she just struggled and we prayed and prayed for healing, but she passed away. My mom and dad, we prayed for healing. So we've seen people healed. And then we prayed for others that don't get healed. We've seen addicts set free instantly. Bam, they didn't want it anymore. Then we've seen those that struggle daily fighting the addiction, fighting the disease. We've seen those that have decided, okay, God, you know what? I'm going to obey you in my tithing offering. And it seems like the moment they, they give, they obey God, man, it's like the heavens open up and, and everything is Blessing upon blessing. And then you've got the person over here, God, I'm going to obey you with my tithe and offering. And on the way home, their, their transmission goes out. That's the tension we live in. God, what's going on? But here's the thing, guys. During that tension, we cannot allow those things to undermine our faith. Are you hearing me? It's easy. It, it would have been so easy for me with my mom and dad, because I know the, the men, the man and woman, they were, they were full of faith people. It would have been easy for me to say, okay, God, what's the deal? Forget this then. If you can't heal that man, but you cannot allow that when things don't go the way you think your agenda should go to undermine your faith. What you have to do is allow, make, let that cause you to push in even deeper to God. Cause you to push it and say, God, I don't understand it, but I am totally dependent upon you. Without you, I'm nothing. I'm like the disciples when Jesus said, hey, a lot of his people left him. And Jesus looks at his disciples and said, are you going to leave too? And they're like, where are we going? We've got nowhere to go. And that's what we've got to let this push us to. God, where am I going? I don't understand it. In fact, God, I don't even like it. But where am I going? I'm totally dependent upon you. And uh, the Apostle Paul said like this in Romans 8, 18. I'm convinced that any suffering we endure is less than nothing compared to the magnitude of glory that is about to be unveiled within us. My dad loved the K King James Version of this scripture because it said this, for I reckon. And he would all say that Paul, Paul had to be Southern. For to say, I reckon, I reckon that the suffering we're about to encounter. And, and what, what Paul is saying is this. He said, hey, the tension you're living in right now, the pressure that you're facing right now, that emotional strain you're facing right now, I know it's real, but it is nothing compared to what I'm going to do in and through you. Just don't stop. Don't quit. Hang on. Can, can we agree with this statement here? The world we're living in right now, is very chaotic and full of disorder. Is that a fair statement? Look what theologian and author Michael Frost says is our purpose as the church. Our purpose as a church is to show people what the world to come looks like here in the midst of the disorder of this world. Frost has said, when the church is working right, when followers of Jesus are doing what they're supposed to be doing, 
then the world in their chaos and in their disorder with everything going on, they look and see the church living in peace, living with joy, living, and they're like, I don't know what that is, but I want that. That's what he's saying. We're supposed to be showing the world, hey, hey, I know it's chaotic. This is the life you were meant to live. Let me show you how to get it. That's what he's saying. If you got a Bible, turn with me to 1 Corinthians 15. Uh, if not, I'm going to bring it up on the screen. In, in verses 3 through 9 of, of, of 1 Corinthians 15, Paul tells us what he considers to be vital to our faith and our walk. Uh, in verse 3 of 15, he, he lets us say, hey, Jesus died. In verse 4, Paul says, hey, he was buried. In verse 4 again, he says, he was raised on the third day. You go to verse 5, then he begins to tell us this. Guys, when he was raised from the dead, he appeared to Cephas. And then he appeared to the disciples. Then verse 6 tells us that he appeared to over 500 believers. 500 people saw him. And then he says, he, in verse 7, he appeared to James. And then finally in verse 7, he appeared to Paul. What's Paul getting at? He's saying this, one of the keys to living in, in the tension between the here and now is understanding this. Our faith is rooted in history, documented history. Jesus actually lived. Jesus actually died. Jesus was actually buried. And Jesus actually rose from the grave. Here's why it's important for us to remember. We're living in a time when conspiracy theories are running the gamut. Come on, are, are you hearing me? We're living in a time that, that, that just straight out lies are the norm. If someone tells us the truth, I'm not sure about that. Because truth is now is a rare commodity. We're living in a time when the twisting of the scripture takes place to endorse our lifestyles. Are you following me? We take a scripture. Well, God didn't actually mean that. And we twist it so we don't have to feel conviction over the way we're living. That's where we're living in. That's why Paul mentions, uh, he says, hey, listen. I want you to know this is documented history. And he goes on to give a list of eyewitnesses. And it's like he said, listen, don't take my word for it. Okay, don't take my There's Cephas. Go see him. Go see James. Go see one of the 500 people that Jesus appeared to. Find, find out what they had to say about it, that this is actually Jesus. This is what he did. This is what happened. And Paul was adamant. Why was Paul so adamant about the resurrection of Jesus? Because he knew it was the cornerstone of everything we believe. The resurrection. It was the hope of everything we believe. I mean, look at what Paul says in verse 19 of that, of 15. If only for this life we have hope, we're of all people to be most pitied. One scripture says we're of all people most miserable. In other words, Paul's saying this, if Jesus was just a good teacher, if he, if he was just a good man with some good ideas, and then he died and stayed dead, all everything we're doing is pointless. What we're doing here today is just Sunday Social Club. We're just coming to church in the South because hey, that's what we do. It's out of tradition. He said, if, that's, if Jesus didn't really rise from the dead, 
Everything we're doing is just pointless. And then Paul continues in verse 20. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead and he is the first of a great harvest of all who have died. He said, hey, hey guys, listen, because Jesus did in fact rise from the dead, if he got up, we get up. We get up. Puritan writer Thomas Watson said it like this. He said, we are more sure to arise out of our graves than out of our beds. We are more sure to arise out of our graves than out of our beds. See, I, when Paul writes this, and what, what the Puritan uh, Thomas Watson wrote, I believe, you know, I know they're speaking of our physical graves, but I believe this is true of the graves that our daily lives present to us. Graves of failed marriages. Graves of job loss. Graves of disappointment, of despair, financial despair. Graves of hurt, depression, addiction. Graves of us losing our temper over and over again and having to apologize over and over again. They said, hey, because Jesus got up, so can you. So can you. Didn't know my Aunt Shirley was even going to be here this morning. And when, when she walked in the door and said, I talked about you this morning. I could hear, still hear a song that her and my other aunts would sing. And it, when I was studying for this message, man, it just came back to me in droves. And some of you, if you've been in church, you're going to know this. Feel free to sing along. It says, because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives. What? All fear is gone. Because I know. Oh, he holds the future. I love this. And life is worth the living just because he lives. That should be our mantra. Living in between the now and not yet. Because Jesus really did rise from the grave. Because he lives. There's a purpose to my life. Because Jesus did rise from the grave and he really lives. I don't have to fear anything, even COVID. Come on, are you with me, church? Because Jesus did rise from the grave. And because he lives, I can face whatever is coming my way. Because Jesus really did live. He really did die. He really was buried. But also, he really rose from the grave. Man. And man, we can shout and talk about that. And get that inside of us. You know what the biggest problem, what kills it? We'll walk out those doors, turn the radio on to our favorite news station. Or before we even walk out of here, some of you maybe even do it now, scroll through social media. We'll turn on the headlines. We'll leave here and we'll go binge on Netflix, HBO Max, Disney Plus, Hulu, or whatever. And then we'll say, Man, I just don't understand. Why am I so down? Why am I so discouraged? Why is my faith walk not where it should be? Here's what Bill Johnson said. Bring this up for me. If you have more input from mainstream news and social media than you do from the Word of God, your discouragement is self-inflicted. Go ahead and say, ouch. 
Because I know that hurts some people. If your input, if what comes into you've heard the old adage, uh, you are what you eat. That's spiritually speaking too. If you feed yourself a constant diet of the world's agenda, don't wonder why you're discouraged. Don't wonder why you're depressed. Don't wonder why you're frustrated. Because you've been eating the world's agenda instead of the kingdom's agenda. Come on now. You can't live a kingdom agenda and constantly feed off the world's agenda. You want to overcome some discouragement? Spend more time in the Word. Now, now let me stop here. Because y'all, if you've not been here, it may sound... You, here, I've battled with, with, with depression. I've battled with anger. I've battled with those things. I know those are very real issues. And I know the church I grew up in told you that you didn't dare mention it because they would just tell you, you've got the mind of Christ, brother. You shouldn't be depressed. And you didn't know how to get out of this hole you were in. But I'm saying a lot of hours... It's self-inflicted. And a good place to start is digging into the Word and begin to feed your spirit on who Jesus says you are, on who Jesus is, and what His kingdom agenda looks like. I don't know about you, but I don't want to just survive during this time. I want to thrive during this time. So we have to understand, our faith is rooted in history. That Jesus really did live. He really did die. He was buried and he rose again. The second thing is you need to understand is this. Our faith moves toward eternity. Death does not get the final word in our story. Life does. Are you hearing me? Mel, when Mel, when Mel Hall passed away a, a few weeks ago, after 18 years of battling heart disease and now cancer and other things, those things did not get the final say in her life. Life got the final say. My mom and dad, cancer, heart disease, did not get the final say in their life. Life got the final say. Jesus got the final say. See, after Paul goes through this list of witnesses saying, hey, here's who's seen it. Don't believe me. Go to these people. Then he, Paul says this in verse 24. I love the way the Passion paraphrases it. The final stage of completion comes when he will bring an end to an end every other rulership, authority, power, and he will hand over his kingdom to Father God. Final stage. Final stage. When he brings an end to every other rulership, every authority and every power, and he hands the kingdom over to God. See, the major tension we live in right now, trying to see the heaven come to earth, is there's still pain, guys. Right? There's still hurt. There's still death. Those, those are real things in your life. And you were here last week, man. Uh, if you were here last week, I talked about the first Adam, how he disobeyed God. And because of his disobedience, he caused sin to enter the, the world. And then that caused separation between him and God. But then Jesus, the second Adam, God sends him. And what the first Adam got wrong, Jesus got right. He got right. 
And here Paul says the final stage of completion comes when he will bring an end to every other rulership, authority, and power, and he will hand over his kingdom to the Father of God. What Jesus is saying, hey, the kingdom you forfeited when you sinned, the kingdom you forfeited when you disobeyed God, Jesus is taking it back. You remember last week we looked at Revelation, I think it's one eighteen, where where Jesus looked at John and said, "Hey, hey, I'm alive. I, I'm not dead. I'm alive, and I hold the keys to death, hell, and the grave." That's what Jesus is doing. He said, "Hey, guys, remember when you disobeyed God, and 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 the authority was was taken from you and given over to Satan. I got the keys back. I got them back. I got them back." I'm because everything Adam got wrong, Jesus got right. And in case you're wondering what length and how committed Jesus is to his kingdom agenda, look at the next couple of verses in 1 Corinthians 15. He, Jesus, won't let up until the last enemy is down. And the very last enemy is... When you went and you defeated the city, you took a king off some. What they would do is they would, they would kill every family member every possible heir to that kingdom to make sure that someone didn't rise up unnoticed and take it back over. Ben reminded me this morning, he said, you know, when David killed Goliath, David just didn't settle for Goliath. David went after his brothers too to make sure. And what, what, what we're saying is this. He, listen, Jesus didn't come just to take down death. He came to take down all of his relatives. And it says he will not stop until the job is done. And you, I don't know what situation you're facing right now. I don't know what you're going through. But I do know that Jesus said, hey, I will not stop until the enemy is defeated in your life. I will not stop until heaven meets earth. I will not stop until every one of those things has been defeated and you stand in the power and victory of God. Paul, man, Paul writes a lot in this chapter about our future. And what it looks like. And, and I believe he's trying to press in and get us to understand the impact that Jesus' resurrection has on us and our life. Jump down to verse 42 of 1 Corinthians 15. Paul says, it's the same with the resurrection of the dead. Our earthly bodies are planted in the ground when we die. But they will be raised to live forever. I'm going to read, that was verse 42. I'm going to read through 43 and 44 in a second. Don't, don't jump ahead of me. Because I believe these next two verses paint a picture, the perfect picture of what it looks like when the church gets it right and the church brings heaven's culture to earth. Here's what he says. Bring that scripture up for me. Our bodies are buried in brokenness, but they will be raised in glory. They are buried in weakness, but they will be raised in strength. They are buried as natural human bodies, but they will be raised as spiritual bodies. What he's saying is the grave of brokenness in your life is going to be raised in glory. The grave of weakness in your life is going to be raised in strength. The grave of the natural raised in the supernatural. That's the kingdom of God right there. And church, that's our assignment as followers of Jesus. To show up at work. To show up at home. To show up with the people that we do life and proclaim that, hey, you can come out of this brokenness. It's possible. 
You can come out of this situation. Our assignment is to see the grave of brokenness that infiltrates every area of our lives and our families' lives. See it raised in glory. Do you know what the good news of the gospel is? If you're taking notes, bring that up. Jesus became what we are so that we could become all that he is. That's the goodness of the gospel. Isn't it hard to see someone that you know really well as whole, as healed? Especially someone that's really lived pretty much their whole life jacked up. Come on, be honest, be honest. Because all we see them is, is what we know them as, right? Let's take it a step further. Isn't it hard for us to see ourselves as whole, as healed? Because we know ourselves better than anybody. Adrian Rogers gave an illustration, man, that has stuck with me. He said, imagine for a moment that you have never seen a train. You might have heard about a train, but you've never actually seen one or even seen a picture of a train. Then one day I take you to a site where a train wreck has just occurred. And I said, look, there's a train. Roger asked, have you seen a train? Yes, if we're talking in a literal sense, you've seen a train. But in reality, all you've seen is a train wreck. Look at the person you're sitting by. Go, go ahead and take a good look. Is it a man, a woman, human being? You know what you're looking at? A wreck. A wreck. Because, see, we don't, we're not able to see what we were intended to be. When God presented us and God made us and formed us, all we see is a life of brokenness that we've grown up in, that we've seen. So when we see people, we think that's normal, but in reality, it's a wreck. It's a wreck. We can't see wholeness. We can't see that person the way God intended them to be. We can't see joy. We can't see peace. We can't see purpose. We see a wreck. We see a wreck when we look in the mirror because we've been led to believe this is just the way it is. It's who we are. It's who they are. Things will never change. That's the way it was meant to be. But Paul said our bodies that are buried in brokenness, they're going to be raised in glory. And our bodies that are buried in weakness, they're going to be raised in strength. Guys, there are people in our lives, whether at work, whether at school, whether at home or in our communities, they're waiting for you as a follower of Jesus to step into the role that Jesus has given you. They're waiting for you to bring the culture of heaven to them. Don't you think people are tired of walking and feeling like they have no purpose in life? I've dealt with enough addicts to know this. They don't like being an addict. They don't like waking up every day knowing that's probably going to govern every decision they make that day. There are people in our lives that are tired of the hopelessness they live with. But the problem is all they know is the wreck they look at in the mirror every day. I can't see the person God created them to be. All they see is a wreck. I'm going to close with this. On January 1st, 1863, 
Our nation was coming up on the third year of a civil war. President Abraham Lincoln on that day issued the Emancipation Proclamation. Here's what that did. It declared all persons held as slaves are and henceforward shall be free. The Emancipation Proclamation, it changed the face of the Civil War. You see, after January 1st, 1863, every advance that the federal troops took, it was declaring freedom. You're free. You're free. Get this. After the proclamation announcement, African Americans were allowed to join the Union Army. Uh, God, this, this is the part I want you to get hold of. If you didn't listen to the rest of my message, listen to this. What happened that day when African Americans, their black brothers and sisters, were able to join and begin to fight for freedom? What happened that day? The liberated became liberators. They didn't have to fight. They were free. They went and said, hey, let us fight so that our brothers and sisters that have not yet experienced what we know so they can experience the freedom we're walking in. You see, the Emancipation Proclamation was given January 1st, 1863. But because Texas and other states that were geographically further away from where it was made, it took a lot longer for the reality of what that declaration said to reach them. There were still a lot of people that even though it was declared free on January 1st, they, had, they weren't experienced the reality of their freedom. Then June 19th, 1865. Juneteenth on your calendar, if you wonder what that is. On June 19th, 1865, in Galveston, Texas, at the Union Army headquarters, General Order Number Three was read aloud and made a reality the announcement that had been issued two and a half years previously. Here's my point. There were people living in Texas in that area of the country that freedom had been proclaimed over, but they weren't experiencing it because that ground had not been taken yet. It took others who had become liberated to go liberate them. I wonder how many people we do life with every day are waiting for us that have been liberated to become liberators. I wonder how many Christians sit in the church just happy that they're free and not really concerned with anybody else's freedom. Those 200,000 African Americans, they didn't have to join and fight. They did it because they knew this. Listen, we may be free, 
But if we don't continue to fight for freedom, there may be a day where we're not free. So we're going to continue to fight for our freedom and the freedom of others that need to be set free. Christians, followers of Jesus, here's what I'm saying to you. Quit selling. Quit coming here on Sunday and us sitting on our tail and being fine with us being free while the world is going to hell and they need freedom proclaimed to them. Man, listen. If you're looking for a church, because I'm telling you, God is really leaning me into this kingdom. You're looking for a church where you can come in here on Sunday and the pastor pats you on the back, get out a bottle, feed you, and make you feel good about where you're at. Man, there's a, hundreds of other churches. I'm not here just to have church. I'm here to make people be the church. I'm here to, 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 to commission those that say they're free to become liberators themselves and go out to work, go out to school, go out to where they set foot and liberate others. That's why we're here. That's why we do CR. That's why we allow uh, uh, AA to have meetings here. That's why we do hope ministries. That's why we do a homeless ministry. Why? Because we have been liberated. So who are we just to sit here in our liberation and not worry about anybody else? Church, I'm ready for something different. Our team can come on up. I'm ready for something different. I, I'm ready. So I grew up in church. Here was the attitude of church people in the church that I grew up in. And it, this may resonate with some of you. Oh, that, that going out and... and talking to people and praying for people and trying to go, that, that's the pastor's job. Can I be really blunt with you? I don't know where you got that, but that isn't biblical. You know what the Bible says my job is as a pastor on Sundays? Call a huddle. Tell you what your assignments are for the week. And then distribute and send you out as liberators to where you work, to where you live, the neighborhoods you go to, the restaurants you go to. Hey, I'm out there doing it by myself, but I'm here. I can't do it or myself, but Mendonese can't do it by ourselves. Our staff, our leadership and pastors can't do it by because we don't know the people you know. And those are the people that are crying. We need freedom. Maybe they're not saying it out loud, but the way they live. Jesse, I'm going to pick on you for a moment. Do you think God set you free just so you could sit in your freedom and do nothing? Absolutely not. He set you free so that you could be a liberator. Others could see Jesse and think, if that guy can do it, I can do it. One of my favorite, I'm always going to brag on some people here for a moment. And I'm done. English. I love her heart for people. She knows who she is. She knows she's been called to be a liberator. 
and she doesn't allow anybody or anyone to stand in the way of that. You go down to that clinic at any given time, you're going to hear the God. People are going to hear the gospel whether they want to or not. Oh, you, you need help? You need you, you need me as to, to uh, prescribe you medicine or you need me to find out what your sickness is? Well, let me tell you about Jesus first while I'm doing this. Why? Because she knows who she's called to be. Why can't I say, no, no, no. I'm talking every teacher in here, every office worker, every factory worker. And in case you think just because you flip burgers at McDonald's, it's not you. No, I'm talking to you too. Every person that mows a yard for a living, he's been called to be liberators. The question is, are you just want to settle for some subpar Christian walk with Christ where you really don't make a difference, you really don't, or are you, are you ready to join an army that fights to take ground back? Stand with me across this room.